As we begin the sermon this morning, I want us to begin by thinking, when was, can you recall a time recently, or just recall a time in general, uh, when you had to make space for someone or something? Perhaps maybe you had visitors that you were um, offering hospitality to, so had to clean up the house and defeat the undefeatable laundry pile. Yeah, that's, mine still remains undefeated. Or perhaps there was family moving back home. That's one I can relate to. We, we had the dream of a spare room and it remains a dream. In fact, we've discovered that um, should we clear the garage out, um, that seems to be the cue for somebody to fill it with their stuff and move back in. Um, but we, we make space. The, the ideal was to make space so that we can walk safely through the garage without unexpected avalanches. Um, but um, that, again, remains an ideal. Or sometimes we decide, through some strange notion, that we're going to clear out the attic. I don't understand why that notion occurs, but it does sometimes occur. So we get up there, we start cleaning out all this stuff that we don't need, making space generally for more stuff that we don't need. There is times in our life when things occur, events happen, which require a response from us in which we need to make space. We need to defeat the laundry piles or clear the attic or the garage or whatever it might be because a response from us is required to the events that are taking place. The same is so very true when we enter into the season of Advent, when we hear words such as, such as those that John will say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is, is how John begins his message. That is a, that's a message that requires a response, a message which requires change, a message which requires hearing and acting. John's mission was to be a forerunner of Jesus and to clear the way, to make straight the paths, to clear the space so that when the Lord appears, his ministry can proceed. But it made me ponder as we enter into Advent and things get busy and life gets busier and we've got school place perhaps to go to or to perform in, we've got Christmas cards we've got to buy and write, we've got relatives to go and visit, we've got Christmas puddings to cook if you're so inclined because apparently it's got to sit there and stew for a couple of weeks. We've got meals to order and presents to buy and all this additional and often fun stuff on top of just the rhythm of our everyday life. But Advent is about a message which is asking us and calling us to recognize that these words, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, isn't merely a one thing that we do when we become Christians and tick a box, but it's actually a message to us this morning about making space in our lives and our schedules and our rhythm of Advent for the Son of God. It's a message which requires from each of us a response to actually get the true treasure 
and benefit out of this season. We can hurtle through it 100 miles an hour and we will enjoy the carols. We might enjoy the, the mince pies if you find them edible. Um, we will enjoy the food, maybe the presents and all that stuff. But there is a great treasure to be found in the midst of all of that. And that is the truth and the hope of Jesus Christ for each and every one of us. The message of a God who doesn't merely want us as servants or workers or gifted ones that he sends out to do stuff, but wants us as children and friends and as his people. Advent calls us to pause, to reflect, to consider, to anticipate, to be honest about how much of the season represents the treasure that God desires to offer us in Christ Jesus. So I want to focus primarily on John. I think what we hear in Romans very much helps us to put content in context to the events in John and the wider hope that Jesus represents. But I want us to very much focus in on the events which lead up to this revelation of Jesus Christ and recognise actually that what we find, you're getting the special effects again this morning, is a message which was very much into the ordinary of life. It, we have to realise that up to this point, when John the Baptist starts speaking, there's been centuries of silence from the prophets. Life has just continued on. And in that time, yes, they've done some useful things. They've sorted out the authority of the Old Testament and worked out which scriptures and prophets and minor prophets and song of songs, all that these things are inspired by God and authoritative for their faith. But there has been this sense of silence and life goes on. And all of a sudden into the everyday ordinary comes this unexpected message. Repent. Change. Draw near to God for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a message which goes to the people of Israel and demands and calls for change. Because repent means more than be sorry or even change your mind. It echoes, and this, is, and this is a quote from the Tyndale commentary, it echoes the Old Testament prophets' frequent summons to Israel to return to God, to abandon the rebellion and come back into covenant obedience with him. This radical conversion is necessary in light of the coming of the kingdom of heaven. So John recognises as he, as he ushers his call to Israel that God is doing something Remarkable, the kingdom of heaven is coming and it requires a response from those with whom it is drawing near. Life must change because something new is taking place. Space must be made. Priorities must be adjusted. A message must be heeded because God is doing something New, and it comes from a very unexpected source. You know, John is not your atypical preacher. He's not somebody who wears a suit. He's not somebody that would be seen as 
safe necessarily to be around. He was quirky. In fact, we're told that his clothing was camel hair with a leather belt. He would have stood out because, yes, he did have fabric clothing to some degree back then. He made the choice to wear these items of clothing and and, and this made him quirky. And in fact, he was quirky because it's thought that he was very likely to have been part of the Quamratan sect as well. This was a sect that pulled away from society because they believed that God was ushering in a new age. So they kind of separated, but then John obviously moved beyond that group and began preaching this message as well under the guidance of the Spirit. And, we, and also, um, the, the, the cloven, as quirky as we might think it to be, in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, Elijah is described as wearing the exact same clothing. So it's not accidental that the one who would take on the spirit of Elijah and Jesus would say is the, is the Elijah that was to come is wearing these clothes. But he was an unusual character. He was a quirky character. He was direct. But he was the one that would become this forerunner. He had a mission given by God to make straight the paths for the coming Messiah, to make space in Israel and in the place he found himself in for the king of kings. And he takes that message into Israel and he calls them to change. He calls for them to respond. To respond to the kingdom. Because this idea of repentance isn't merely a one-off. But it's about ultimately recognizing this king that is coming. And as we now know at this point in history, seeking to become more like him. So John would proclaim this message to the people to repent, to change, to respond because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the one that was working to make space for the king. And I ask that question and I'm going to come back to this question repeatedly because this is basically what I want you to consider this morning is how much space are we making for that same king at Advent? In our lives and in the rhythm of how we are approaching Advent because the great treasure of Advent is found in that space. Because that's where the great hope is. Because much like John spoke into the ordinary situation then, the message speaks into our ordinary as well. Into the busy lives that we lead, into an Advent season which is busier than most other mums. There is a message which comes to us this morning and requires a response from each of us. The King has come. What are we doing about him? How are we responding that that kingdom of heaven has drawn near? It's enveloped us and it's drawn us in. We have made that commitment to Jesus. But what space is there for him in our hearts and in our time and in our life this Advent season? Because John's message to Israel was was a call to change. It's embodied by the, the practice of baptism, which you, you see John doing 
um, with the people that are coming to him. And how he is doing baptism is actually something quite new because baptism was known to be used as a practice in um, Judaism to some degree, but it certainly wasn't common. But it was a, it was a very ritualistic thing. But here John is using the act of baptism as, as, a, as an evidence of repentance, as an evidence of one who has responded to the message of the kingdom being at hand and showing that and demonstrating that change in their life. It's, it's, it's become a, a right of seeking God's grace as John proclaims a message that judgment is on its way. And it's drawing in a variety of different people. Excuse the pun, but John is making waves both literally and metaphorically as he serves God in this ministry. People are coming out to an area that would never draw anyone normally. And they're hearing and responding to this message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand because that's what, the, 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 what John is communicating to them and that this kingdom is asking for a response from them. It's calling for a life of change to a radical reorientation of a life back ultimately towards communion with God. Because that's what the core thing is about all of this. As God speaks into the life of a people who were his people, he's telling them through John that these rites and practices that they have had and their assumption even that being the children of Abraham is enough, isn't. Not enough. God is calling them back to himself, but through that radical reorientation and readjustment of their life in response to the fact that this kingdom has come. And it's little wonder that the religious leaders, they are rather suspicious about what's going on. They're coming to check out what's happening. And, and, and to use, I don't know if this is just a Pfeiffer phrase or if it's a Scottish phrase, but they get telt. They get telt. Because as they come, John calls them out. And in fact, uses what language that Jesus uses to describe the same um, people as well. You brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He gives them the challenge, bear fruit and keep him with repentance. And then there is the challenge do not presume to say to yourselves, we, are, we have Abraham as our father. He, he sees this group who have come and he is very quick to, to challenge them. And, to, and, and he has the astute insight to recognize that their, their, their practice and, and how they have set up their faith isn't how God wants holiness to be. They have made faith, as we've looked at in Mark, about practice and about doing the right things, but their hearts were so very far from God. And as God sends Jesus into the world, as the kingdom of heaven draws near, this is God reconciling people to himself once more. Not given a kingdom so that people believe and say and do and be the right thing, <coughs> That's an aspect, that's, that's a result of the kingdom. But at its core, it's about communion with God once more. Reconciliation is the phrase that Scripture uses time and time again, that God would reconcile us 
to himself once more. He would draw us near. He would remove the barriers and that relationship that was first in Eden but was broken by sin would be restored once more. God takes that reconciliation incredibly seriously. So how could Advent become something in which that space for God and that time with him wasn't one of the fundamental aspects of the rhythm of it. Advent has it right. It's about that space and time for God. Because these religious leaders, they're not coming really to hear. They're coming. When I worked as a nurse, one of the things that we would have to do quite a lot is what was called a risk assessment. And we would have to do risk assessment after risk assessment after risk assessment about anything and absolutely everything. There was risk assessments for everything. And I'm sure in many other professions, it's, ex- it's the exact same. We risk assess everything from stairs and how you must use a banister. And on and on the list goes. I think what you see is a very early version of that. They're, they're here sussing out John. They're, they're risk assessing. Is he a threat to what we teach and to how we live? Is he a threat to the stability of the region? Is he a threat to how we have taught people to understand holiness? Is he a threat to our values? I think that's what you see here. That's what they're doing. But they're astute enough to know that something major is happening here. This call to change that has taken place. The people know it and John knows it. And even the religious leaders are monitoring him. And that call still rings forth today. An Advent, and I said I would keep coming back to this, and I am. Are we making space for the King? For the one whom Scripture says rejoices over us with singing, who delights when we are in his presence, who invites us for the work of Christ into the Holy of Holies and calls us his child. How much space is there for Christ this Advent? This call isn't, and this idea of repentance isn't a once and for all box tech thing. It's at its core, ultimately communion with God, reconciliation with Him. And that's, and it's, it's hard because often life is busy. We have so much going on, so many priorities. Kids, school runs, people to drive various different places. We've got the, the, the rhythm of everyday life and, and all the, the things that Christmas brings on top of that. Things that aren't bad, things that we enjoy. Maybe not always the visit an awkward relative part, but for the most part we enjoy a lot of what Christmas represents. But the church has given us the gift of Advent. God has given us the gift of Advent to encourage us to pause, to stop, to question, to wait, to anticipate, and to consider how we relate this season to the King of Kings. Because John knows 
that one of the fundamental things that's happening here is the kingdom has come. This will mean the judgment of the age. The religious leaders might have been teaching people that to feel all is okay if you're doing the holy stuff. But John would deconstruct even the notion that by being children of Abraham, you are completely safe and all is well. No, God is calling for a deeper response from them. Above all, it's about the heart, that relationship with God. The stuff, the stuff isn't enough. The stuff ought merely to be fruit. Spirituality, faith, relationship with God is about so much more than that. Than that. God is drawing people back to himself and judgment is a key thing. Judgment of sin and of the culture and of the powers and ultimately all of those leaders themselves. And it's interesting, and this really struck me, that a lot of the language that's used of judgment in these verses and what Jesus would come and do, it all sounds quite threatening and scary when you read it. Every, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then later on John would say it, of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the freshing floor and gather his sweet into the barn and his chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It sounds all quite almost destructive. And as I pondered that, I realized that when Jesus came into the world at his first coming, he would judge the world. He would judge the powers. He would judge sin because he defeated it. But in his judgment, he took the punishment upon himself. So as we read these descriptions of how Jesus' ministry would take place, it's absolutely staggering to think that as he judges sin and darkness and the enemy, he defeated them. Not by punishing sinners, but by liberating them. By offering to us a hope of freedom and reconciliation to God. By taking our sins from us. And I wonder if we first, if we pick that up when we first read things like that. And, and yes, I know that, that in a lot of this it's talking about Jesus' first coming and his second. But there is absolutely no question in Jesus' first coming that he judged these things and defeated them. The final reality of that will come when Jesus returns as judge and saviour and king and lord is second coming and all these things are finally rendered not just defeated but non-existent. But when it talks about judgment and John speaks of judgment let us also pause and recognise that that judgment Jesus would take upon himself. 
And he would do that so that all those boundaries and barriers between us and God would, to fit the theme, dissolve like snow. Although there is not snow, don't worry. He would be gone. For God would take that judgment and consequence upon himself. But what he would declare into the world is this call for a radical change. And this isn't something that's, this isn't an idea that's been dreamt up. This is, this is a, something new entering the world, a new kingdom that's breaking into the world. Something very new is happening. And that's why there's this cry of response to it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is doing something new. Something that will transform lives and hope. And ultimately, fundamentally, the world itself. It has and will continue to transform us. And at its core is a God who is seeking out his people. And making those who were once not his people. His people. It is a kingdom that doesn't tolerate darkness or sin. But it overcomes it with power and mercy and grace. You never ever see in Jesus' ministry him using the weapons of the enemy to defeat the enemy. But he fundamentally and completely defeats the enemy. He triumphs over the enemy by using the ways of God. So we see love defeat hate. We see grace overcome guilt. We see forgiveness greater than unforgiveness. We see meekness triumph over dominance. And the list goes on. Because just because God's ways are not necessarily our ways, and they aren't the world's ways, doesn't mean they aren't the ways to victory. A radical call of transformation breaks out into the world and into us. And that's why the call to repentance isn't merely once and for all, it's ongoing. Because we need to put some of those weapons down ourselves. Because we assume their effectiveness for God and they are not, they're ineffective for God. God's ways are the ways that we must seek to move forward. And that requires trust because actually sometimes God's ways can appear foolish. Which of us, if somebody slaps us on one side of the cheek, really wants to turn to them the other also? It seems a bit daft, doesn't it? Because all that's going to happen is you're going to end up with two sore cheeks and somebody walking away thinking, you're a mug. But that's only if we discount the power of God to work in that situation. (coughs) If somebody asks for one coat, who would give them two? Well, most people don't wear two coats, but, well, generally I do. Um, But we wouldn't normally do that. But we can see the weakness and some of what God asks of us. But in Christ, we see the power of what God asks for us. Because Jesus would live out what he would call us to do. And he would defeat sin. He would defeat death. He would defeat the devil. He would overcome every single barrier by choosing to live the ways of God. This kingdom calls to us a life of transformation, of radical obedience to a way that the world will see is foolish. Because that something new is still happening until Jesus returns. And God is still taking a people and making them his people. Taking them from their nation of Scotland or, or, or Ireland or South Africa or wherever we hail from. 
and making them citizens of the kingdom of heaven, making them his family, his children, and beginning that work of transformation in each of us. And finally, we must remember that the one who's coming is mighty. John knows he can't even, he's not worthy to even carry the sandals of Jesus. And that's a very humble thing because he's talking there about the role of a servant. May it be one of our prayers as we journey through Advent that we would get a glimpse of the mightiness of Jesus, that we would get a glimpse of the holiness and awe of Jesus, that we would get a glimpse of the love and the compassion of Jesus because with even just a glimpse, we'll find it all so much easier to make space for him this Advent season. Let's pray. Lord, give us that glimpse, that glimpse of your might, of your awe, of your power, of your love and your compassion and your embrace that embraces each of us this morning. May we seek you this Advent season and make space for you this Advent season, Lord. You know how busy things can be and what that means for each of our lives. But help us to find that deeper treasure that is you as we enjoy this season. Lord, may we not draw the conclusion that your call for us to draw near to you is one which means we must treat with contempt the many other wonderful things that Advent represents. But may we recognize instead that you call us to search deeper, to draw near to you, which will bring fresh color and hope and joy to all other things. We thank you that you're a God who would not leave us when we would turn away from you, but a God who pursues, who seeks, who is the good shepherd and who draws near to us this very morning. Bless us, Lord, and draw us near to you, we pray. And we ask, Lord, that in this season, for our nation and for our world, that some of that peace and hope would begin to reframe things, especially, Lord, where darkness exists, where hate exists, where war exists, or oppression, or persecution, or violence. Lord, in the season that we remember your love, your compassion, and your power, may they pour forth forth over your world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll stand to close our service by singing.